Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Today, we are featuring a gentleman who, though he may be new to Convention Pulpit, he is not new to the Holiness Movement. His name is Merle Troyer, and in 2006, he preached at the Dayton, Ohio Interchurch Holiness Convention, and he titled his sermon, Find Us Faithful. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. Passing it on and on. Thank you, Brother Fuller. Certainly is an honor to be here today and I think across the years, back to the time when the convention met in Huntington, West Virginia. Those times starting way back then have been a tremendous blessing to me and the Holy Spirit has already ministered to my heart in this convention. I trust he has to yours and I believe he has already if you've had an open heart to him. The general theme of this convention for 2006 is the hope set before us. And when Brother Sankey contacted me about speaking in this service, beginning, I began to ask, Lord, what is the message for this hour, for this opening service? And as I began to think about the hope that is set before us, I believe that it is contingent upon one biblical concept, faithfulness. And I'm going to ask you to turn this afternoon to Revelation chapter two, verse 10. I believe the hope is bright, it's clear, the possibilities before us are enormous today. However, it is critically important in these days that we understand and practice the biblical principle that we're going to consider this afternoon. In many churches, in many individual lives, the flame of faithfulness is burning very low today. And so I speak this afternoon on this truth. In Revelation chapter two, verse 10, we read, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee 
a crown of life. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so glad that we have the privilege of doing your blessed will. And we pray that you will help us in this service this afternoon. We're so inadequate for the task that we face. We're totally helpless without your help and completely powerless without your power. The very best that anybody can do in the human would not avail for the need of the hour. So we pray that you will come and strengthen us with your strength. We pray that you will take charge of every word that is spoken in this message and give us what we need, Lord. Build up your children in the faith and for everything that you do, we shall give you the glory. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus and for his blessed sake, amen. If you look in your dictionary, you will find that the word faithful or faithfulness is found repeatedly. In, it's found in the dictionary, a word that is used repeatedly in the Bible. It simply means this, to be constant, loyal, dependable, devoted, true, steadfast, resolute, and steady. Someone who is faithful is someone who can be counted on. They're consistently reliable. When they're supposed to be there, they are there. When they're supposed to be doing something, they're doing it. Most of you are aware that the Marines have as their motto, always faithful. And I believe that should be the motto of God's people today. First of all, I want you to note with me that our God is faithful. It's a vital and essential part of his very being. Our God is faithful in answering the prayers of his people. Psalm 143, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. In thy faithfulness, answer me. God is faithful in times of temptation and testing. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. When a child of God is tempted to do wrong, God is faithful to give that individual the assistance that they need so that they will not go down in defeat. Also, when a Christian who is serving the Lord is tested and tried by very bitter and hard circumstances, the Lord is faithful to see us through to a victorious conclusion. Our God is faithful even when we fail to believe him like we should. That's what the word tells us. 
In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Our God is faithful to keep his promises. Hebrews 11.11 says, through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. God had promised to Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age and he was, he was faithful in fulfilling that promise even though he had to do a miracle in order for it to take place. Our God is faithful to forgive and restore the backslider who's fallen into sin. In 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is faithful in entirely sanctifying believers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely. And I pray you, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God wants to sanctify his children and he is faithful in the task. In the 89th Psalm, we might well call that entire Psalm the Psalm of God's faithfulness because that thought is mentioned again and again throughout the entire Psalm. I'm gonna read verse one and five only. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness in the congregation of the saints. As God's people, we should proclaim the faithfulness of the Lord everywhere we go and to everybody we speak to, for we have a faithful God. But secondly, today, as we lay the foundation for some very important things I wanna share with you, let's look at examples of Christians who were faithful. Abraham was faithful. The apostle Paul in Galatians 3 verse 9 calls him, quote, faithful Abraham. Wouldn't you like that to be coupled with your name? Faithful and then your name be put in there? I want mine to be like that. Moses was faithful. Hebrews 3, 5 says, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Daniel was faithful. We read in Daniel 6, verse 4, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. 
but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Isn't that wonderful? Here were those who were perpetrating a smear campaign upon Daniel. They did all they could to ruin him. They ransacked the official records to try to find something that was valid, but they couldn't find anything that was truly valid because he was faithful. In the New Testament, one of the important characteristics that the great apostle Paul looked for and commended in his disciples and co-laborers was this principle of faithfulness. In fact, you'll notice when he used the word faithful in reference to them, he would also use a term that showed how dear and special they were to him. For example, Timothy was faithful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and, a, and faithful in the Lord. Tychicus was faithful. In both Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, and also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul called Tychicus, quote, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. Onesimus was faithful. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul said, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Epaphras was faithful. In Colossians 1 verse 7, the great apostle said, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. You say, all right, Brother Troyer, you've noted that we have a God who is unfailingly faithful. You have noted examples in God's word of those who were faithful, examples of what a Christian ought to be and a minister ought to be. But is that all that God's word has to say about it? By no means, no. It commands that each one of us be faithful. So it comes down to a very individual truth this afternoon. Our text here in Revelation 2.10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The clear implication here is that if we are not faithful right up to that moment, we are not going to receive the crown of life. As one commentary pointed out, unto death can also not only mean be faithful to your life's end, but it also involves being faithful even if being faithful should occasion your death. I'm gonna start on the ministers this afternoon. God commands us to be faithful and dependable as ministers of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, 
Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Here the requirement of a minister is not eloquence, it is not profound knowledge, it is not having a high IQ, it is not being polished, it is not being capable of great oratorical rhetoric. The requirement is faithfulness. We're to be faithful, fellow pastors and ministers, in every aspect of our ministries, faithful in the study and the proclamation of God's word, faithful in the administration of our churches, faithful in prayer and intercession, faithful in planning God's work, faithful in the office work, faithful in visitation, faithful in counseling, faithful on the telephone. That'll, in, that'll take some patience now and then. Faithful in, in attending to those unnumbered little details that are vitally a part of the ministry. I like the song, work for the night is coming, work through the sunny noon, fill brightest hours with labor, rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store, work for the night is coming, when man works no more. Time is precious. Let's use it wisely and effectively as God's ministers. So God has commanded us as ministers and pastors to be faithful, but he has also commanded every Christian to be faithful. May God give us a generation of holiness folk who are faithful to God in every area of their lives. I remember the late Geraldine French, wife of H. Rob French, Sister French, would lead that congregation back in the 60s when I was attending college there. One of the great old hymns, not to the strong is the battle, not to the swift is the race, but to the true and the faithful Victory is promised through grace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, we read about the, quote, faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. May God be able to say that of your church and mine, to the faithful brethren in Christ which are at, and then fill in your church's name. Again and again, Jesus held up Faithfulness is a matter of supreme importance in the Christian life. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. He's simply saying here, if we are faithful in those little areas of our lives, then you won't have a problem with the big areas. 
If you students are honest in the small things now, such as the nickels and dimes, you won't have any problem with the large amounts later on. If you grade school and junior high school and high school students are faithful in your studies today, you won't have a problem with college tomorrow. If you're conscientious and careful in the small decisions today, you'll not have a problem with the big decisions tomorrow. That's precisely what Jesus is saying. And in this day of blatant unfaithfulness, God's command to his people is still the same. Be thou faithful unto death. When you and I stand before the judgment bar of God to give account of our lives, what are we going to hear? Will it be Matthew chapter 25, verse 21? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Or will it be the words found just a little further on in verse 41? Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Folks, the difference between heaven and hell is essentially wrapped up in one word, faithfulness. You show me a person who's faithful in every aspect of their walk with God, and I will show you someone who's going to make it into the celestial city. On the other hand, you show me an unfaithful person, and I'll show you a defeated person. God promises to preserve you and keep you and I if you'll only be faithful, if we'll just keep minding God faithfully. Psalm 31, 23 says, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. One country preacher said a few years back, he said, if you ain't faithful, you ain't nothing. Well, his grammar was not correct, but the concept was true. If you're not faithful, you're not anything. For faithfulness is the very core of this Christian life and walk with God. It's the bottom line. In fact, faithfulness is such a part of being a true Christian that the dictionary makes it synonymous with being a Christian. You look up the word, the faithful, and you'll find it's the Christians. We sing about it when we sing, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. What is it speaking about? Oh, come all ye Christians, joyful and triumphant. Are you faithful? Although I'm not going to tell you where, when, or by whom these words were spoken, the following words were spoken and I'm going to give them to you almost verbatim. Pastor, I don't enjoy the Bible anymore. There was a day when I could not wait to get my hands on this book, just to get alone with the open Bible, to read its pages and, it, and learn its truths. But Pastor, I'll be honest with you, something has happened. 
I prefer the newspaper to my Bible. I don't want it to be that way. I want to love my Bible like I used to love it. I want to enjoy it like I used to enjoy it. But I'll be candid with you. I prefer the newspaper or I'd rather read a magazine or listen to the radio or play a CD. I just don't enjoy the Bible like I used to enjoy it. I don't know what's happened to me. I'm worried about myself. I just don't enjoy the Bible anymore. Pastor said another, I hate to say this, but I don't even want to come to church sometimes. In fact, I don't even recall the last time that I wanted to come to church. I can recall when I first got saved. I could not wait until Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and the revival services. Oh, the special music and the wonderful hymns gospel song so bless my heart we have heard the joyful sound jesus saves jesus saves blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine at the cross what a friend we have in jesus holiness unto the lord dwelling in beulah land Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. I used to thrill down deep in my soul when I'd sing those songs. And then, Pastor, I could not wait to hear you preach. It was the highlight of my entire week. But, Pastor, something has happened. I don't know what it is, but I don't enjoy the preaching anymore. I don't like to go to church anymore. I'll be open and frank with you. Whenever I find a half plausible excuse to stay home, I do. I prefer to stay home and sleep in on Sunday morning. I just don't get thrilled about coming to church anymore. I wish I did. Oh, for the feeling that I once had when I enjoyed coming to church, but it's gone. I don't get excited about the services anymore. Pastor said another, my prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. I used to love to get alone with God and pour out my heart to him in prayer. I can recall when I first learned that God would hear me as I spoke to him. And I realized that I was having an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I can recall how wonderful I'd feel when I knelt to pray and I felt God's presence so close and near to me. I mean, I tingled all over, Pastor. But I don't know what's happened to me. I don't enjoy praying anymore. I don't have the thrill in prayer anymore. 
At times, my spiritual sky seems like brass. I don't understand it. What's happened to me? Pastor said another, I like to resign my Sunday school class. I recall when they first gave me that class and I stood and taught the Sunday school lesson. I realized that I was teaching God's eternal truth to the never dying souls of those who were there. I'll never forget how wonderful I felt as it finally dawned on me that I was a co-laborer with Jesus as I taught his word. I could not wait until Sunday morning when I would stand before my class with an open Bible and explain the rich truths that were in the Sunday school lesson. But pastor, I've lost my burden for teaching. I just don't wanna teach my class anymore. To be perfectly honest, it's a real chore to prepare to teach my class, and I dread Sunday mornings. Could you get somebody else to teach my class? Another said, Pastor, I'd like to resign my bus route. When you first told me that you wanted me to become a bus captain, what an exciting time I had that first Saturday when I went out to knock on doors and canvas for writers. That first Sunday morning when I looked around and saw that little brood of children that I had brought to church and they got off the bus and I saw them go inside, I tingled all over. It fully dawned on me that they were going to get God's message because I had brought them to church. Then the highlight of highlights was when the invitation was given and some of my bus children stepped out and walked down the aisle and got saved. Pastor, you couldn't know how wonderful I felt. I've never felt anything like that before in my life when I realized I had a vital part in their salvation. But Pastor, I'm gonna be frank with you. I don't like it anymore. I don't wanna visit my bus families on Saturday anymore to be sure that they'll be ready to be picked up on Sunday morning. I'm tired of that rickety old church bus. I'm weary of that cold bus in the winter and the hot bus in the summertime. I'm tired of screaming and sometimes fighting children. Pastor, I just don't enjoy it anymore. I'd like to resign my bus route. Wait a minute, hold it. Listen, today we're about to separate the men from the boys spiritually. If you get to that place in your life when you no longer feel like reading your Bible, but you transfer your daily devotional Bible reading from inspiration to faithfulness and duty and obligation, you are practicing what being a true follower of Jesus is all about. There may come a time in your life when you don't feel like going to church but you say, by the grace of God, I will attend the services of my local church unless I'm truly physically unable. I'll be there Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and during the revivals because it is a matter of my commitment to God. 
you come to the place in your life when you don't feel like praying. And quite frankly, you have to admit, I don't tingle anymore when I pray. I don't feel like shouting or running through a troop or jumping over a wall when I pray. You might even feel like King David did when he said in Psalm 35, 13, my prayer returned into mine own bosom. But in spite of that, you engage your will and you say, I will pray because I am supposed to pray. Then you're practicing what this Christian walk is really all about. If you come to a place in your life when you don't enjoy fulfilling the ministry God has entrusted to you, whether it be teaching a Sunday school class or driving the church bus or whatever it may be, actually, you may even dread it, but you do it anyway because it is your responsibility. Then you are understanding and comprehending what serving God is all about. We all like to feel blessed. But there may come times in your life when the stark reality is you'll not always feel blessed about what you're doing. You'll not always tingle. When you come to that place in your life and you're faithful to God and duty, regardless of your feelings, then you are practicing true biblical faithfulness. What we need more of in our day is some old-fashioned duty performing faithful holiness people. Someone said, I slept and dreamed that life was beauty. I woke and found that life was duty. Another said, duty is the cement which binds the whole moral edifice together. A number of years ago, there was a bumper sticker that was very popular. Some of you may remember it. It went like this, if it feels good, do it. You cringed every time you saw that bumper sticker. Not only did you cringe, you hated it because you knew what that slogan meant. It represented the so-called new morality of the day, which was nothing more than immorality. That saying stood for illicit sex and drugs, homosexuality and smoking and liquor drinking and all the other popular sins of the day. But there's a sense in which that slogan has been adopted and practiced some, by some of our holiness folk. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good to go to church on Sunday morning, do it. If it feels good to go back on Wednesday night, do it. If it feels good to go on Wednesday night, do it. If it feels good to read your Bible, do it. If it feels good to pray, do it. If it feels good to obey God in that area of your life, do it. If you've adopted that slogan in your walk with God, I wanna serve you notice this afternoon in this service, 
that God lets us know we're supposed to be faithful to God no matter how we feel. If it feels bad, if God said to do it, then we need to do it. Somebody said greatness consists not in one seeking his own pleasure or fame or advancement or glory, but in seeking one's own duty. Edmund Burke made a statement that has helped me more than any other statement outside of the Bible that I know of. And it's simply this, and I thank God that I got this statement early on in my ministry and this quote, never despair, but if you do, work on in despair. That statement has sustained me and my wife during these 38 years of ministry when the going got tough, when other opportunities opened themselves for other than ministry that were lucrative. That statement would come back to my mind, never despair, but if you do, work on in despair because God called you to ministry. Be faithful. I know some well-meaning folk across the years that have in their testimonies mistakenly conveyed the thought to our young people that since they thoroughly got right with God, they always felt glorious in their soul all the time. And some of our young people have mistakenly concluded that since they did not always feel blessed or always feel hilarious in their soul, that somehow there was something wrong with them spiritually. Now folks, indeed, this is a glorious and wonderful walk with God. However, I will do my own confessing to tell you that I have not always felt on the mountaintop since I started serving the Lord as a teenager 45 years ago. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna be very candid to tell you that there were some mornings when I awakened, I felt, and I don't know any other word that's better to use than this, I felt lousy. But I got up and had my devotions as usual, and I went about obeying God regardless of how I felt that morning because it came down to one biblical principle and one word, faithfulness. I believe that God in heaven looks down upon his children now and then, and he wants to see how genuine our commitment and our devotion to him really is. And so the Lord, God says, God the Father says to God the Holy Spirit, extract the tingle and take the emotion and the feeling out of their walk with me. And let's see if they'll continue just as they are serving me. And the Holy Spirit comes and extracts the thrill and the tingle. He takes the tingle and the delight out of praying to see if you'll keep praying because it's a matter of commitment and faithfulness. He takes the thrill out of your Bible reading to see if you'll keep doing it because it's a matter of duty and devotion. 
He takes the emotion out and the excitement out of your church attendance or bus route or Sunday school class or whatever ministry it is to which God has called you or has given you in your local church to see if you'll keep serving him regardless. I wanna to say to every single unmarried person in this audience that it is your Christian duty to your future bride or groom to walk down the aisle as morally clean as you were the day you were born. One word separates that young man who walks down the aisle, impure, unchaste, and stands at the altar and extends his arm to his bride and looks at her and gives her a secondhand husband. One word separates that young man from the one that has been clean and pure and virtuous and chaste. That young man who says, I've saved myself for you. I'm morally clean, I'm pure. One word separates the pure from the unpure, impure. It's faithfulness. One word separates that young lady who is clean and pure at the altar, who gives her groom a bride as pure as the dress she is wearing is white. From that young lady who, if she were honest, would have to wear a gray dress or a spotted dress, representing the spots on her virtue and chastity, and that word is faithfulness. One word separates the spiritual layman who stands behind his church and his pastor from the turncoat who causes church problems and heartache and grief. And that word is faithfulness. One word separates the Bible college students who break the rules and get demerits, causes the school problems and the administration grief from those who study hard and keep the rules and are dependable and graduate on time. And that word is faithfulness. I believe the message that God wants to give us today is the hope is bright, the hope is clear. Yes, if we will do what we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do it. Do it when you're feeling up and do it when you're feeling down. Do it when you enjoy doing it and do it when you don't enjoy doing it. Do it when your heart feels warm and do it when your heart feels cold. Do it when you're on the mountaintop of blessing and do it when you're in the valley of sorrow and heartache and grief because duty and faithfulness to God demands it. Hear me and hear me well, folks. Emotion without obedience to God is totally worthless. However, obedience to God without any emotion whatsoever is acceptable and pleasing to God. Assimilate that statement. What Christian duty is it about which you've been careless? In what area of your walk with God have you been negligent? Don't you think it would be an epic-making day, a red-letter day, if you quit serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the basis of feeling good and started serving him on the basis of biblical principles and faithfulness and commitment? 
And you know what, folks? Once the Lord looks down on us and you say, I'm determined, Lord, to serve you. I'm determined to obey your unfailing word, feeling or no feeling, tingle or no tingle, blessing or no blessing, emotion or no emotion, thrill or no thrill, excitement or no excitement, delight or no delight, because it is a matter of my faithfulness to you and commitment to God. When he looks down and we say that, and after you've proven yourself true and faithful, God looks down and says, Holy Spirit, give them the feeling back and the thrill and the tingle come back. And he floods your soul with blessing and delight once again. And the Holy Spirit opens the windows of heaven and pours out a load of heavenly glory on your soul. And then you have feeling plus faithfulness and that is the greatest thrill of all. One fellow said, you've never had a tingle like the second tingle. <laughs> Today, I can't overemphasize too strongly the truth that our salvation and our service to God must not be based upon our fluctuating emotions or feelings, but on God's unfailing word. Your faith and my faith, your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny is not based on feeling, it is not based on emotion. It is not based on an old wives' tale or a fancy of some kind. It's not based on a fairy tale or a myth, but on God's unchanging, unfailing, eternal word. Our redemption is based on the reality of an accomplished fact of history. Jesus, the living word, became flesh and dwelt among us. What Jesus accomplished at Calvary is a fact, not a feeling. Our sins were defeating and defiling. They were contaminating and condemning, but it is a fact that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross. It's a fact that he won our victory on Calvary's tree. He descended into the citadel of hell into the very stronghold of iniquity and broke the powers of sin. And that is why the apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I'd like to read that in another translation. On the cross, Jesus stripped the demonic powers and authorities of their power and made a public spectacle of them as if they had been victims in a victor's triumphant procession. Hallelujah. And then after defeating the powers of hell, Jesus rose again and we celebrated Resurrection Sunday this Sunday and what a glorious time it was as we honored our risen Lord. That's why we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday because Jesus rose on Sunday, the Lord's day, the first day of the week, and now we worship. And every time we come to church and we say, by our presence, something very significant, he's alive, he is risen. 
Then after rising again, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives above for me to intercede, his all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. So now we can appropriate and we can claim his victory in every area of our lives. These folks are the eternal, certifiable, rock-solid, historic facts upon which we stand and base our faith. I've been privileged to sit under the ministries of our great conservative holiness preachers of my generation. These men that I'm going to call their names stood in this pulpit or on this platform and proclaimed the word of God through the years. They had a huge impact on my life that impact and influence goes on today. There was my spiritual hero and personal friend, the late Dr. Steve D. Heron, founder and president of Hope Sound Bible College, who influenced my life more than any other individual or human being. There was H. Rob French. By the way, that's why my father said when I was a boy and I wanted to go to Hope Sound to school and we were in upstate New York, he said, you can go. He heard Rob French preach. He said, if you can sit under the ministry of that man, you can go, son, even though it's all these miles. It was Glenn Griffith, S.I. Emery, H.E. Schmuel, Dale Yoakum, D.P. Denton, J. Wesley Adcock, H.C. Van Warmer, R.G. Flexen, Leslie Wilcox, C.E. Cowan, V.O. Agan, who stood right over here last year when I came to the convention. And he's such a gracious Southern Christian gentleman. And he came up to me and opened his arms with that big smile and embraced me and wept. He had just had his wife depart for glory not long before. And now he has joined her in the heavenly band there around the throne of God. But all of these men influenced my life and many others who were lesser known. These godly men challenged us to walk the high road of obedience and faith. Some of them were short and some were tall. Some preached for 30 minutes and some preached for an hour and 30 minutes. Some preached loudly and some preached softly. Some were scholarly and highly educated and some weren't. Some used perfect grammar and some split their infinitives, hung their gerunds and dangled their participles. And others were like the one of them who said, I know a little Greek and I know a little Hebrew. The little Greek runs a restaurant in my town and the little Hebrew runs a clothing store. But there is one common denominator that characterized all of these great holiness men that I have mentioned and others. They were faithful. 
They were faithful to pass the torch of truth to our generation, and now it is our duty to pass it on to this next generation. Dr. Steve D. Heron repeatedly emphasized those great Reformation truths when he would preach sola scripture, sola grace, sola faith. Sola scripture, that the holy scriptures that every person can search for himself is the final authority. Those are great Reformation truths, these are. Sola faith, that we're not saved by works, but by faith alone. Dr. Heron repeatedly urged us, and sola grace, we're saved only by the grace of God. And he repeatedly urged us to preach a biblical and balanced truth. One of the things he emphasized was truth was to be preached with love. I'm gonna quote one of the quotes that I have in writing from Dr. Heron. You see, truth without love becomes harsh legalism. Love without truth becomes syrupy sentimentalism. But truth and love are the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, end quote. Dr. Heron and others, all of these great men faithfully proclaimed the critical, crucial biblical truth to us. And one of the great truth that was, truths that was emphasized was the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, eternal, settled word of God. And we need to always keep emphasizing that. These godly men faithfully looked us in the eye and they declared the whole counsel of God. They faithfully preached repentance and restitution. And I know we owe our holiness heritage to a long succession of people far beyond the days of these men that I've mentioned today. But those of us that are especially here at this convention are in great debt to these faithful men who proclaim the truth without fear and favor. They were faithful to proclaim the scriptural message that you can know that you're saved and you can be saved to the uttermost that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, not in their sins. And you know that is being erroneously taught on the airways all over the place today. You're just saved in your sins. Folks, the blood of Jesus Christ can do far more than what some of these folks are preaching. It gives us victory and deliverance and power over, over willful sin from the moment of the new birth. They faithfully proclaimed the biblical doctrine of entire sanctification, the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit that cleanses the heart from all sin. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin? That takes in inbred sin, folks, by all means. They were faithful to proclaim the biblical distinctives of our Wesleyan heritage they proclaimed that though we were living in the world, we were not of this world. That we were to live separated, holy lives without living separately. We were not to be like the world in our lifestyle or dress or conduct or entertainment. They very faithfully proclaimed and contended for the glory of the Lord in our midst. 
That is the presence manifested of the power of God in our midst. They stood for the singing of the great hymns of the faith and for spirit-filled worship and for taking our blood-bought liberty in our church services. And there's still no substitute for that, folks. I was born in the fire and I'm not content to live in the smoke. I want to see and experience more of the presence and the power of God in our services. I know the world in general and even some of those in religious circles are scorning our holiness heritage and are saying that we're not in tune with the times, but God is counting on us to be faithful and to hold high the banner of faith, of, of holiness, faithfully in our day. We must steadfastly refuse to mimic or become a part of the shallow, superficial Christianity of the day. We must stand like Luther of old did, no matter what. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. This afternoon, as we bring this to a close, I challenge all of us to commit ourselves afresh, to be faithful in every aspect of our walk with God in this generation. Faithful regardless of our vacillating emotions. Faithful to live earnest-hearted, spiritual, godly, and separated lives. Faithful to maintain careful, biblical standards without a critical spirit, faithful to keep liberty in our services, faithful to keep the music in our services pleasing to God, and the singing honorable to the Lord. And folks, I'm gonna say it, this, much of this modern music is not pleasing to God. And actually it's become, by those that go to those services, and I don't even attend, this so-called contemporary music is nothing more than contemporary rock with religious words added to it. And it's a tragedy because These people have gotten to the place now where they've departed from the faith in their living and now departed from it in their singing. But I'll tell you what, we need to be careful to maintain the great hymns of the faith. They are filled with biblical truths and theology. And yes, I even appreciate the choruses and I like those and I encourage them. I sing a lot of them. But I tell you folks, some, some churches, all they're having are these little 7-11 choruses. That is seven words sung 11 times. And that's about all they have for their service. And none of these great hymns of the faith anymore. And that's a tragedy. May God help us to remain faithful, to keep warm hearts as well as school minds, faithful to keep balanced and holy, Faithful not only to know the truth, but live out the truth through God's divine enablement. Faithful to be totally and absolutely surrendered to the Holy Spirit 
and the claims of Christ every day of our lives, no matter what others are doing about us. Folks, the Word of God hasn't changed. We have a responsibility to this generation and to our children and grandchildren to faithfully pass on the precious and costly spiritual treasures that we have. We must not teach our generation the way as much as show them the way. And I, when I say teach, we need to teach them, but don't just say, I taught them. We need to show them the way by the way we live. And may we truly know God and be spiritual anchors for our children and grandchildren. Then when you and I stand before the Lord, it's gonna be worth it all to hear these words of Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The hope before us is bright and clear this afternoon. If we will be faithful, I intend to finish by the grace of God as I start. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. i